church where we're uh, a little bit uh, make it up as we go with all of this uh, chords and technology and all that good stuff. So, hey, uh, I am glad to be with everybody this morning. It's pretty cool that um, we get the opportunity to take advantage of this technology and bring church to you in your living room. We are doing the same thing that most every church in America and Canada and many other places around the world are doing. We're uh, kind of staying home and staying safe and uh, limiting our contact with each other um, to honor the requests of uh, our leaders and um, just trying to be safe and sane with uh, this uh, virus stuff going on. And so we're bringing you church from the living room this morning. Um, our governor in Washington has made uh, provisions that it's okay for us to uh, stream and get together and do worship services and all that stuff for um, uh, future services. So there's a good chance we'll be back in Daggy in the not too distant future, at least for um, recording or putting live services together. So just uh, we're, we're like everybody, we're learning and making the adjustments as we go. So um, I'm just uh, glad that we're able to jump in and get in the living room together with each other this morning. So in spite of all that, there's really cool stuff going on. There's a lot of neat things happening in our church. Um, first of all, one of the really cool things that I wanted to share with everybody is last weekend was our really our first weekend where we had to go away and, and go live and not gather together as a whole church. And so you could look at that as a potential for a negative thing, where it's the first time ever that we couldn't gather together in one room and worship together and um, take communion together and pray together. But what actually happened was something really cool. We ended up having more people watch church and essentially in the world that we're in attend church together than we've ever had before in the history of our church. And so just to give you a reference, like last Easter was uh, the, the most people that had ever come to church, and it was somewhere between seven and 800 people came to Real Life Church in Pullman, and we celebrated uh, the resurrection of Jesus together. And then last Sunday, we had somewhere between 12 and 1,500 people viewing and participating in church together. And um, in addition to that, what was really neat is we had people from all over the country and other countries actually joining us for church. So if you're watching right now, we've got folks from our team uh, kind of monitoring the comments and, and interacting, and it's sort of our electronic way of saying, hey, welcome to church. We see you. We're glad you're here. So if you're watching right now, if you could put some uh, comments in there and just say where you're from, just uh, you know, shout out. We've got people from Alaska. We've got people from uh, Canada, Virginia, Tennessee. We've got people from California. And of course, lots of people from Washington. Uh, I, I also know that we've got some people from Maine even. And so we've got people all over the place tuning in and watching uh, our church together. And so just let us know where you're from. Uh, it's, it's just fun to see where everybody is coming to church from today. So there's that. That's pretty neat going on. The other thing that we've got going on that's really cool is our home groups are just doing an awesome job. I am Super, super proud of Adam, our home group's pastor, and our home group leaders and coaches, and everybody just doing all of the work to make the necessary adjustments to keep meeting together. And uh, like Hebrew says, not forsake the gathering together, as some do. And so, like, we've got these weird circumstances, and yet we've got people that uh, three weeks ago sending an email was a difficult thing, like this guy. And now all of a sudden we're Zoom meeting experts. And so I just, it's really cool. And so we've got home groups that are meeting and we've got room for people to join 
some of our online groups. And so I would just uh, say this morning, if you're feeling a little isolated and you're feeling like this might be an opportunity for you to connect with some other like-minded people that love the Lord and are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus day by day, um, we would love to have you join one of our online groups. And the neat thing about this is that it really doesn't matter where you're from. If you're in Maine, you could join one of our online groups. If you're in Canada, if you're in uh, California or anywhere here locally on the Palouse, we would love to have you jump in and be a part of one of our online groups. And so you can let us know by going to that new here on the homepage and uh, fill out a connection card and let us know that way. Uh, we can also just keep it really simple and you can just write a comment right now as you're watching this live stream and just say, hey, uh, I would like to be in an online group and uh, we'll follow up and get in touch with you and see how to get you invited to a group that works at the day and time uh, that'll work for you. So we're excited to see those groups continue to grow and help people connect and uh, grow in the Lord. So the other thing that's really neat is just hearing all the stories of how God is at work. Um, many of you saw on our Facebook stuff last week where uh, some folks, in fact, it was Daisy that was up here doing directed prayer earlier, um, had an opportunity to give away some milk from uh, something that had to do with the place that she works, uh, was uh, needed to get rid of it, but because of some of their just kind of guidelines, it was easier to give it away through the church, uh, kind of just personally. And so they went out and delivered what we thought was going to be 50 gallons of milk to people in our community in need, and it turned out to be 130 gallons of milk. And so uh, they were the uh, milk truck delivery and just blessed a whole bunch of people. And, uh, and that was just a really, really cool thing, and people were just so appreciative and receptive. And it's fun to see how people um, are just kind and not greedy, you know, just saying, hey, I'll just take one or two. I don't need, you know, five or ten. They're not hoarding and doing those things. And so that was just really affirming of how great a place we live and how awesome the people are on the Palouse. And so that was really neat. The other thing that is really cool that uh, God's just been really showing us that he's at work is in the last couple of weeks, we've got a number of people that have reached out to us and expressed an interest in being baptized. And there are people, in spite of these circumstances, in spite of how hard it is to get together with each other and spend time together, God is absolutely doing the work that he promised to do. He's drawing people to himself, and people are coming to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so in the, the next uh, couple of weeks, you're going to see some baptisms. But here's the exciting thing. Today, you are going to get to see baptisms. And so after church today, about 1 p.m. Pacific time, we are going to be taking a little drive, some of us, uh, south of Pullman to a little town called Colton. And just outside of Colton, we're going to go to a home with a hot tub. And we get the opportunity to do some amazing, awesome uh, baptisms today. There is a really wonderful family in our community that is a blended family um, and kind of brought together the his, hers, and ours, Brady Bunch kind of gathering. And so God has really been at work in this family over the last several years, um, kind of culminating up to a time here recently where they decided, uh, all of them at different times, to, to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so uh, we've met and discussed things, and they are excited. And so today at 1 o'clock, I invite all of you back online It'll be on my Facebook page personally. Uh, we're going to do our best to put it on our, ch our church Facebook page and our um, YouTube page as well, depending on our technology and internet capabilities uh, outside in the country. Um, and we're going to invite you to join us as we baptize seven 
people this afternoon, which is pretty doggone amazing. If that didn't just send chills down your spine and give you a little smile, um, then you should probably wake up. You need another cup of coffee because that's awesome. Seven people committing their life uh, to follow the Lord today. And so come back at one. Um, with that, I'm going to pray and uh, switch gears, and we're going to jump into uh, our lesson from Acts this morning. So if you would, uh, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's all stand up. And uh, wherever you're at, at home, whether you're on the couch or uh, laying in bed, relaxing, watching it, uh, shake it out and stand up and get with us. And uh, let's uh, join together wherever we're at, standing in prayer before the Lord. So let's pray. God, we just love you. You are a good, good God. And we are so grateful that we get to um, serve you, that we get to um, continue to get to know you better. God, thanks for this uh, crazy technology that allows us to be so far apart and yet together, hearing the same things at the same time. And so we just love you. Be with us in all that we uh, say and do this morning. Help people to hear just what you want them to hear. And help me to say, Lord, only what you want me to say and nothing more or less. And so we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, get comfy. Um, I am going to share uh, some stuff with you out of Acts this morning. So we've been in this series in the book of Acts. And we have... Uh, We've been talking about um, this amazing book that takes us back in this really uh, brilliant piece of history where God is doing something new. God is um, working through the Holy Spirit and the apostles and the disciples and the teachers, uh, and he is, he is miraculously revealing that he is a God that is for everyone. And, and for the first time ever, we're seeing people that are not Jewish people um, not have to become Jewish, like uh, Gentiles, they're called, people that are not Jews, can now uh, receive salvation, receive forgiveness of their sins, and, and through baptism, they can receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit um, for the first time ever. And, and they don't have to uphold the Jewish traditions or the Jewish laws. They don't have to uh, be circumcised. And so it's a really, really exciting piece of history that we get to look back at for us because most of us watching this are going to fall in the Gentile category. And so this is sort of the, excuse me, this is sort of the history of our faith as Gentiles where we see where people like us first heard and were invited into this um, relationship with Jesus to receive forgiveness of their sins and uh, to, to be able to have a right relationship with God without having to convert and become a Jew. And so, um, God was making it clear that, uh, about this message, like how to deliver this message through Peter and the apostles and the other disciples. And, and last week, we uh, kind of did a recap. And so we talked a little bit about each little chunk that we've covered. And then we finished last week looking at um, Paul and Barnabas in uh, uh, Antioch of Syria. I remember which Antioch they were in. Uh, and so they were in Antioch of Syria, north of Jerusalem. And so they were there, and they had actually been there about a year preaching and teaching and, and uh, just sowing seeds and building kingdom, and things were going amazingly well. And we saw at the end of, of that uh, passage last week where they were actually, um, the disciples heard from God and said that it was time to set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them out on a new mission a new assignment, and they didn't really know where they were going to go or how long they were going to be gone or, or what they were going to encounter. And so that was sort of where we finished up last week, and we're going to dive into that this week because they they take off, and where they, they, they leave from Antioch of Syria, they go down to the coast and they sail, 
And what we're about to start talking about here is referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. And so every one of you that has a Bible at home will have a map that looks something like this one that you're going to see on the TV over here is um, a map of Paul's first missionary journey. And so most Bibles have these and, and they're mapped out. And so down here in the corner, they started in Antioch and, and they sail to the island in the middle of uh, Cyprus and they travel across the island and, and minister and serve. And then they go north uh, inland to a place called Perga. Um, and I had the really awesome opportunity uh, a couple of summers ago of uh, going with folks to Turkey, and uh, which is all of the land that we're looking at right there on that screen. In the Bible, it was Asia Minor and uh, broken up into different regions. And so I got the opportunity to stand in Perga, uh, right where Paul and Barnabas would have landed and, and walk the same stones and the same steps that they would have walked on this very first um, just footsteps into this new country and this new adventure that God had sent them on. And it's pretty amazing, pretty cool stuff. And so what happens is they get to this place uh, called Antioch of Pisidia and they go inland and they go there and they do what Paul always does. He goes straight to the synagogue first uh, uh, to the church and he teaches in the synagogue and he is a passionate, fiery teacher. And he, uh, he believes every word that comes out of his mouth with his full heart and soul and, and as he preaches and teaches, it, the, the crowds are forming and people are very receptive to him. And so much so that at the end of the service, as he was getting ready to leave, Luke says that the crowds formed around him and actually begged him to come back the next week and keep teaching him more. And as a preacher, that's sort of a preacher's dream. Like at the end of church, if everybody was lined up begging for more, then you've done a heck of a job as a preacher. And so that's a pretty cool thing. And so that's exactly what happens. Luke says that they come back the following week and they uh, preach again in the synagogue. And this time Luke says that almost the whole city showed up to hear Paul and Barnabas at the synagogue. And so it's pretty amazing. And so on the heels of this, what we start to see again is this tension that we've already seen a little bit. And it starts to crop up again, this tension between um, the Jewish religious leaders of the day and the teachers of the day who felt like the way to be right with God was in upholding the Jewish laws and tradition and being circumcised and converting to become a Jew and upholding their laws and traditions was the way to have a right relationship with their God. And they didn't see that there was any other way or means available to have a right relationship with God. And yet Paul and Barnabas come in and they start preaching and bringing this message that Peter had received from the Lord that now it's okay for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus to have a right relationship with God. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to even be circumcised. And so things are starting to build. This tension is building. And so what happens is Luke says that the Jewish leaders and teachers saw the huge crowds that were showing up to uh, listen to Paul and Barnabas, and they were filled with jealousy. And it stirred them up to say all sorts of terrible things about Paul and Barnabas and to uh, say uh, slurs against them and to make false accusations and to try and uh, thwart the crowd against them. But here's the thing. Paul and Barnabas were no pushovers. And so they held their own. And they, we see in Acts 13 where they defended themselves and accurately presented the gospel. And this, the fact that they stood up to the Jews and the, and the religious leaders there, and they, they could hold their own and, and bring the scriptures forth, was really amazing to the Gentiles. It was super refreshing, like a breath of fresh air. So here we have 
these people that have never really seen a way to have salvation that the Jews have uh, apart from circumcision and becoming Jewish, now they see that there is a, a new way, a way to put faith in Jesus alone. And they see these guys that are defending them, that are going to bat for them, that are sticking up for them. And it was super encouraging. And so that's where I want to pick up the story with us. And we're going to jump in the scriptures. So if you've got your Bible out, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. And it's going to be on the TV here with us. And uh, I'll read it out for us. But it's going to be Acts chapter 13, beginning at the end of chapter 13 in verse 48. And so uh, Acts 13, verse 48, it begins like this. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. So they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet as a warning to them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And so this idea that they shook the dust from their feet. It, in every culture, there are different uh, mannerisms or things you could do with your uh, arms or hands or fingers uh, to sort of tell somebody off, uh, to kind of tell them what you think of them. That's sort of a, a slam. Um, and this idea of shaking the dust from your feet at someone was sort of a way of, um, you know, saying that you disapprove. You're, you're not, you know, like, uh, you're not uh, happy with what they were doing or who they were. And so by shaking the dust at their, off their feet at the Jews, it was kind of their way of telling them off. It's also, there might have been a little bit more to it. It might have been even a little more underhanded by Paul and Barnabas because um, it's common that when Jews would travel on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, they would, before entering the Holy Land, they would actually shake the dust off of their feet. Um, and it was a, a way of like symbolically shedding off the dust from the pagan, temp or pagan countries that they'd travel to. They didn't want any of that pagan dirt coming into the Holy Land with them. And so this might have been sort of an underhanded way where Paul was saying to the religious leaders and the Jews that had come against him, he might have been saying to them, you know, by shaking the dust off of my feet at you as I leave, I'm saying to you that you're no better than the pagans. And so it, it probably didn't sit great with the Jews who were already mad at him to receive this little uh, shaking the dust off thing that happened with him at the end. And so... They go to Iconium, and it's a city in that same region. Um, and for those of you that maybe are not familiar, these cities that we're going to look at in this particular text, um, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, uh, Antioch of Pisidia, um, particularly Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, these are areas that are um, known as an area in the Bible that was called Galatia. And so when Paul later writes the um, letter to the Galatian churches, it's these people who he's meeting here for the first time. And so he goes to Iconium, and in Iconium, um, they do what they always do. They go and they preach the word. And so I want to just jump into that with us together in Acts 14. At the beginning of Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, uh, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And the whole city ended up being divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, 
to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. And so we're starting to see this recurring theme is everywhere Paul and Barnabas go, they, they start in the synagogue. They go straight to the, the kind of Jewish uh, religious center for worshiping God and they preach from the scriptures and they share the good news of, of Jesus as the, the way for salvation is through faith in him. And they enlighten people as to the what the scriptures and how they pointed to Jesus. And it, it stirs up this jealousy with the Jews, it seems, everywhere they go. And so everywhere they go, there's this tension of some are for them and some are against them. And, and they don't really know who their friends are and who their enemies are. And it had to be a pretty trying time. And so they find out that they're going to be persecuted in Iconium. And so they flee the city for their safety and go to the neighboring uh, cities of Lystra and Derby in that region. Now, what happens next is kind of a crazy story. And if you don't know some of the backstory, some of the kind of local uh, lore, the local legend that was relevant at the time, then you could read what happens in the rest of Acts uh, 14 here and sort of miss some of the cool stuff going on. So I just want to share this story with you. Um, I had a chance to hear this story uh, standing in the exact place that uh, Paul and Barnabas would have encountered these events in Turkey. And so it was a pretty amazing thing. And so it's a, there's a story that really permeated the region that Paul and Barnabas were in. And it was a story that held a lot of significance to the residents. And so it shaped the way they thought. It shaped the way they behaved because this was a story that most of them had grown up hearing as children. And so um, I want to share the story with you, and then we're going to jump back into the text because now we'll sort of be there with them, if that makes sense. And so the story is about uh, the god Zeus and Hermes. And so it goes something like this. Uh, Zeus and Hermes uh, came down to earth and they came to this particular region uh, where the Lystra and Derby, where these guys were, where Paul and Barnabas were. They came to that region and disguised themselves as regular everyday travelers. And they went through the region and, and into the village and they knocked on doors and and people turned them away left and right. And they were looking for food and shelter, but no one would receive them. And, and so they, also it said that um, Zeus was the father of Hermes, and Hermes was known as the messenger god. He was the one that did all the talking. And so here they disguise themselves, and they knock on all these doors, and, and nobody lets them in until eventually they come to this humble little cottage of a couple named Bacchus and Philemon. And Bacchus was the woman. That's not a very womanly, uh, feminine-sounding name. Uh, but that's the way the story goes, and so I'll stick with the story. So Bacchus and Philemon are this older couple who have um, loved each other their whole lives. They've raised their kids. They've farmed. They've just had an amazing, wonderful life. They're on in years, and yet they still just love each other dearly. And so when these weary travelers knock on their door, they let them in, and they receive them with great hospitality. And so they sit with them, and, and they go and they gather uh, stuff from the garden, herbs and, and spices, and they put together a stew, and they're actually serving these uh, weary travelers at their table. And as they're serving them and pouring wine out, uh, much to the surprise of Bacchus and Philemon, they realize that as they pour the wine, the, the, the flask that the wine was in never runs empty. No matter how much they drink, the wine just keeps coming. And so as this happens, 
they start to put two and two together and they realize that the visitors that have come to their house are actually gods. And so they, they sort of freak out a little bit. They, they hit the ground and they're, they're overwhelmed and embarrassed at what a meager uh, offering they had made for these amazing gods. And so they hustle out and they try to kill the only goose that they had on their entire farm. And the story goes that they chased the goose. And the funny thing is they couldn't catch the goose. And so they, they just, they come back with this humility and uh, sort of embarrassment that this is all they could provide. And, and so it says that Zeus uh, reveals who they are to him. And he tells them the story about how they had, they had come down looking for food and shelter and hospitality. And they had gone through this village and no one would receive them and they, no one would let them in. And yet they let them in. And so Zeus, it says, along with Hermes and Bacchus and Philemon, go outside of the village to a hill uh, and they look back down over the village and Zeus tells them that they're going to be safe, but because of the lack of hospitality, um, the lack of generosity of the people in this village, the village is going to be washed out. And so they watch as the waters rise up and a huge lake forms and the whole village is covered in water, all except one spot, this little island that had this little meager cottage of Bacchus and Philemon on it. And it says right before their eyes, it transformed into this columned temple, this amazing place, this little cottage that they had lived in. And then Zeus looks to Bacchus and Philemon and says, you know, what do you guys want from me for your hospitality and your generosity? What do you, what do you request of me? And it's an interesting thing that they request. They, they say, well, First of all, we would love to be the priests of that temple. Let us continue to greet people with hospitality and generosity as they travel through this land. And the only other thing that we want is we want to make sure that whenever it's our time to go, whenever we're done on earth, um, make sure that we leave at the very same time because neither of us wants to be uh, left in sorrow. And so it's sort of this romantic ending to this fable or this fairy tale that was sort of the the ruling story of the land. And the story wraps up, it says that Bacchus, uh, eventually uh, they saw themselves as, as Bacchus and Philemon grew old, they looked at each other and they, they noticed that they actually were starting to turn into trees. Um, and as they started to turn into trees, they realized, oh, our time is up. This is, this is it. This is what's gonna happen. And so um, it says that Bacchus turned into this amazing, beautiful linden tree and Philemon turned into this big, strong, mighty oak tree, and the trees intertwined with each other. And to this very day, there are these trees that intertwine with each other and um, just help perpetuate this story that these gods came to visit these people. And so that's the world, that's the culture that Paul and Barnabas are traveling into. And so they travel into Lystra, and that's the 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 reigning story of the time was this story about Zeus and Hermes coming to visit people and this issue of hospitality and generosity. And so here's what happens. This is pretty interesting. So Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra and as they come into the region, they see a guy whose feet are not working. He's paralyzed. And Paul has an interaction with this guy and discovers that this guy has great faith and faith enough to be healed. And so Paul heals this man who had these uh, messed up feet. And this guy springs up to his feet and, and begins to jump and, and walk. And, and the people that knew this man watched and saw what happened. And they were amazed and, and overwhelmed for joy at what had happened. And can you imagine what those people thought about who Paul and Barnabas might be? Immediately, 
these people that had grown up with this story looked at Paul and Barnabas and thought, look, Zeus and Hermes have come to visit us again. They've disguised themselves as regular people and they said, Paul, uh, they said Barnabas would be Zeus and Paul would be Hermes because he was the one that was doing all the talking and Hermes was the messenger God. And so they, they start to worship them and they want to sacrifice to him. And actually the, the chief priest from the temple of Zeus tries to bring bulls out to sacrifice bulls uh, on their behalf. And, and it took everything they had to convince this mob, these great numbers of people and priests and leaders that they were not actually Zeus and Hermes. What a bizarre thing to encounter and have to convince people that they were not gods. I mean, they had just left a city not long before where people wanted to stone them and kill them and ran them out of town only to come to a new place where the people wanted to worship them. And how awesome it is that they didn't receive that, that they stayed faithful to their faith. They didn't let that feed their pride and their ego and they, they pushed the people away. And so um, it, it goes on to, to see what happens next and and so they're, they're fighting to convince these people that they're not gods. And then in uh, the middle of Acts 14, we're going to pick the story back up and we kind of see um, what happens next. In Acts 14, uh, verse 19, it goes like this. It says, Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium uh, came and uh, won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. And so here they're, again, they're removed far away. These Jews that had come against them in these other cities had now traveled and followed them. And now this crowd that thought Paul and Barnabas were gods now is convinced that there's something terrible about them to the point that they want to stone them and kill them. And it says that Paul is actually stoned to the point where everyone thought he was dead and he is drugged outside of the city um, and left for dead. And I don't know if you have a lot of familiarity with what it means to be stoned. And as you see, the picture on the screen here is a, a painting that sort of depicts the violence that would have been involved. And, and so here, Paul is um, thrown at with rocks and to the point where he collapses and they continue to throw them at him. Oftentimes, they would take people outside the city gates first so that when the uh, person was killed, they wouldn't have to deal with the stench or the uncleanliness that came from a dead body. And it says here, it looks like, I think probably the mob was just so incited by these Jews that had come that they actually just stoned him right on the spot because then it says they drug him outside of the city and left him for dead. Now, I got to wonder, thinking about who Paul is and what his story was and how he was involved in early on in the Christian movement in persecuting the Christians. I have to wonder, as, as Paul is being hit with rocks, as he's no longer able to stand and drops to the ground and is wondering if this is his last day on earth, his last moment, his last breath, and the pain and the agony that would come from literally being pelted and pummeled with stones, if Paul didn't have an immediate flashback to the day that he stood as Stephen was stoned as Stephen was persecuted and killed, as one of the first believers in Jesus who was killed for his faith, if Paul didn't wonder what it would have been like for Stephen 
and the pain and the agony that he would have went through. And, and what would that have done to shape Paul's will to live, his conviction, his desire, his, his belief in who Jesus really was? And so it says in the rest of this passage something pretty amazing. We'll pick it back up. It says that he's outside, he's been stoned, he's left for dead. And then it says in verse 20 that after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So, like, you just have to think about that for a second. Like, the, they got up and he went back into the city. There's this mob that has tried to kill him, that has um, flip-flopped from worship him to throw rocks at him. It's about as unsafe a place as Paul could ever go. But there is something in Paul and Barnabas, and it leaked out all over the disciples around them. There was something in them that just drove him. It drove him to not be able to stop telling people about Jesus. No matter what opposition he faced, no matter how painful it was for him, no matter how uncomfortable it was for him, no matter how bad it tarnished his reputation, it didn't matter. He couldn't not talk about Jesus. And so a beaten and bloodied and bruised Paul stands up, no doubt helped by his friends, no doubt with friends surrounding him going, you're going to do what? No, you're not going back in there. We're not going to let you. You're crazy. They almost killed you. It's a miracle that you're still breathing. You can't go back in there. And imagine the conviction of Paul as he looks at him and just says, what, what else would I do? And so he goes back to those very same cities. We'll finish up in Acts 14. It says that, in uh, verse 21, it says that they preached the gospel in that city and get this, won a large number of disciples. I don't think there's anything much more convicting and believable than somebody that is passionately following Jesus no matter what. No matter what the cost, no matter what the consequences, no matter what the circumstances, when nothing sways their faith, it draws people to the God that they follow. And so it says that they won a large number of disciples and then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. So here they go back to those same places where all of these Jews were jealous and hated them and stirred up all these problems for them and they go right back to those places because there was people there that had come to put their faith in Jesus and they couldn't not go back and help them and encourage them. It says that they, in verse 22, it said that they strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith and Paul said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if there was ever a guy that had the right to make that statement, that was one. And I know a lot of us in the times that we're going through right now with uh, um, required to stay at home, the circumstances about our jobs, the situation about... Um, you know, our friends and family and people we care about and employment and income and financial security and financial stability and, and concerns about health and concerns about 
um, not being able to be with one another at critical times, like having to forego funerals and weddings and not being able to be with people when they're receiving you know, life-threatening surgeries and, and they have to go and do it alone. And there's all of these things that are affecting our lives right now. There are all of these circumstances that are affecting how we live day by day. And all I can say is that we're in good company. We're in good company with a guy like Paul that says, we're going to have to go through hard times if we're gonna be committed to following the Lord. It's not if, it's when. And so now more than ever, I would encourage each one of us to reach out to your friends and family, to spur each other on in your relationship with Lord. Let's let this be a time where we are putting down deep roots with God. We are drawing closer to him. We are digging into the text. We're digging into the scriptures. Our homes are filled with worship music. And then we praise him and we draw together. And, and anytime God puts someone on your heart, you pick up the phone and you give them a call. Let's let this be a time where we grow deeper personally with the Lord. We strengthen our faith so that we're ready for the hard times ahead and that we look out for one another like never before. So this morning, we're gonna finish like we do every week with a communion together. And so if you've got your elements that you're gonna use for communion at home, now is the time to go ahead and grab those. And every week at Real Life, we... Uh, gather together, and we take communion together. And so if you're new with us and watching maybe for the first time, for us, communion is not a part of uh, something that you need to be a member of our church to do. Um, it's not something um, that you have to sign a certain thing or go through a certain class. Like for us, we have what we call an open table. And what that means is that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to take communion with us. We look at you and we say that if you love Jesus, your family, no matter where you are, no matter what church you go to, no matter what town you live in, we're brothers and sisters. And so uh, this morning, wherever you're at, we get to take communion together. And so we do this every week so that it, it never gets far from our mind what Jesus did for us and what he accomplished for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, we have a way to be right with God. We have a way to receive forgiveness for our sins. We have a way to have God's Spirit in us and guiding us and counseling us and helping us and encouraging us and strengthening us, just like he strengthened Paul. And so as we finish this morning, we're gonna reflect and remember what God did for us on the cross. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said that this, this bread represented his body, which was broken for us. And so wherever you're at, as you eat this, this element, this little piece of bread, remember that Christ's body was broken for you. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he told them that the cup that they were gonna drink represented a new covenant, a new agreement, a new arrangement, if you will. And because of his shed blood, there was gonna be forgiveness of sins for any who would put their faith in him. And so this morning as we drink the cup, remember that there is forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Christ. So let's drink. 
Let me pray. And then uh, I'm just going to finish after we pray together with a couple quick announcements. And then uh, we're going to be off and on our way for the day. So let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. You are such a good God. Thank you for the blessing and benefit of being able to reach so many people in so many places in a time where people need encouragement more than ever before. They need uh, their faith to be strengthened, just like Paul and Barnabas went back through those cities where they faced such opposition, and yet they went because there was people there that knew you that needed to be encouraged and strengthened. And so God, may this message and every message here on out strengthen and encourage every believer that it reaches. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Just real quick, a couple quick announcements and then we'll uh, dismiss and head out for the day. Uh, Many of you know that I'm doing a morning devotional uh, every weekday morning. And if you don't, um, I would love to invite you to join us for that. It's every weekday morning at 8 a.m. It's on Facebook and YouTube. um, And it's short. It's every morning at 8 and it's uh, like 10 minutes or less. It's just a quick way to start our day together in God's Word. And so if you haven't watched those yet, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch any of them from last week or any of our past sermons. If you're new to the series and want to catch up with some of the sermons and messages from Acts, you can go and see those there. And so um, I would just encourage you to go and do that, and I'd love to see uh, more of you joining us for those morning devotionals. So next up is um, we are going to get uh, busy and hustle and transition to mobile church on the move. And we're going to head to Colton. And the next time you see us around 1 p.m. on Facebook Live, you're going to get to join with us as we baptize a whole entire family that's committing their life to follow Jesus. So pray for us, pray for the technology to work and lift up that family in prayer as this is a huge day for them. So you guys have an awesome day. God bless. We'll see you next week.